You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor George Willis titled, Love Where You Live. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Good morning, everyone. Uh, There it is. Hey. Glad you're here today. I want to welcome everyone online. Thank you for watching. There's Hannah watching from Arizona. Ken and Jan Perry watching from Oregon. Uh, Anna is watching us. I'm assuming from Sacramento. My mom watching from Nevada. Uh, And uh, Pat P. Pat P. is watching uh, from all the way, I think, in Alamo. And uh, we got Mo watching from her office. Hey, you would know this if you logged on and welcomed those on online saying, hey, thanks for joining us today. Uh, That way they feel like they're a part of what we're doing. Although I would love to see a lot of you who watch online, if you are able to join us physically here in person. Uh, Can we let those online know that we in the house love them today? Come on. So we're going to get right into it. We're in part two of this two-week kind of mini-series, mini Love Where You Live, Being Authentic. Uh, last week, we touched on a couple of different major deep theological aspects of this faith, this relationship that we have. Actually, Anna, you're watching from right here, and you logged on. I just realized that. <laughs> That happens to me every week. That's the downside of having you guys log on and and, uh, chit-chat with those online. Uh, So forgive me. We talked about two major aspects of this relationship with Jesus that we have. uh, And it's two uh, commands that we have. The great commission and the great commandment. The great commission, go and make disciples... Right, And then the great commandment, it's, it's our tagline here at Creekside Church, love God and love God and love people. And then last week we talked a little bit about the, the why we do this or the how and the who. We talked about the who, proximity. We are to love those right next door to us. Right next door to us. And then the how, we, did, we, we love them through kindness. Kindness. And we talked about how, and this is probably the most important aspect of what we talked about, that the people around us are very, uh, the, the very people who live right next door to us matter to God. And because they matter to God, they need to matter to us. They need to matter to us. Last week, uh, I apparently used the word neighbor a lot, which I'm going to use the word neighbor a lot today. So don't be surprised. So here's what someone did. They presented me with a shirt this morning that if I had earlier in the week, I would have worn it. And unfortunately, this is the last of the two, so maybe I'll wear it next week just for fun. But won't you be my neighbor? I'm not taking this off. You don't want to. You don't want to see what's underneath. Come on. 
This is a family show. Listen. Here's what I know to be true. People desperately want and people desperately need community. I don't care how much you go around saying I don't like people. What I know to be true is no one wants to be left out of anything. Am I right? Some of you curmudgeons like me sitting there going, no, man, I can't stand people. But no, you know your feelings are a little bit hurt when everyone else around you gets invited to the party and you don't. Everyone wants to be included. Everyone wants to be seen. Everyone wants to be valued. Everyone wants to uh, be loved. Every, I think every person in this room and watching online desperately needs community. Why? Because we're hardwired for it. And could it be that isolation is the problem kind of underlying a lot of other problems that we face in this life? In other words, we need each other. We need one another. And when uh, communities break down and people become isolated, all kinds and all sorts of problems happen. In fact, we discovered last week that Jesus brought this up over 2,000 years ago. It's nothing new. He commanded us to love our who? Neighbors. Love our neighbors. Let me ask you this question. Are your neighbors glad you live next door to them? See a lot of conversations happening right now. (laughs) Are your neighbors glad you're next door? Let me ask you this question. If you moved out of your house today, would they even notice that you were gone? If so, for what reason? <laughs> Last week we began talking about loving those people right where you live. Right where you live. So how's it going with sharing the love of Jesus with your neighbors? How's it going being kind to your neighbors? It's more of a rhetorical question, but it's not a, like, let me get all up in your bubble question. Really, how's it going? Because, listen, uh, I have heard throughout this week so many stories of people reaching out to their neighbors. This week, people texting me, telling me, giving me flyers of barbecues that they have on their cul-de-sac. It's blowing my mind. And I know it's pleasing the heart of God. So many stories about people connecting with and inviting their neighbors. I want to zero in on a passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 16, that demonstrates how we should interact with the people that live around us, not just as like good neighbors, but as followers of Christ and how we can become great neighbors. Right? So instead of hearing, like a good neighbor, no. Like a good neighbor, I am right there. Not because of how awesome we are, but because Christ is in us. By the way, if you're one of our neighbors checking us out today, I just met one last week. She visited with her two sons. 
and you're just checking us out, you know, maybe you're checking out the things of God, I have good news for you. There is absolutely nothing that I'm going to say today that we wouldn't want you to hear. Because we want to be not good neighbors, but great neighbors. There are no hidden agendas of our current emphasis calling us to really just be this. And this is my own life mantra. Just be real people sharing real stories about a real God. That's who we are. It's authenticity. Genuine, authentic relationships. Because we believe the heart of our faith is to love God with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And in turn, we're supposed to love others as ourselves. We're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. I want to look at the text this morning. First Peter, written by Peter. It says, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. What's it say? Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with anger and frustration, <laughs> condemnation. No, do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Not that you put them to shame. That's not our job. Our job is to give a reason for the hope we have with gentleness and reverence, gentleness and self-control. Give you a little context here. Peter's speaking to Christians living and not, it's not unlike us. He's living and speaking to Christians living in a culture that has a strong animosity towards the teachings of Jesus. He challenges people to choose a better response than just arguing or trying to prove those people around them wrong. In the first 12 verses of the chapter we're in, he calls for them to guard their words carefully. To remain humble and to seek peace. Guard our words carefully. If you're like me, you have a tendency to let them fly sometimes, don't we? Especially when we think someone else is wrong. I got this... Uh, I kid a little bit about when people go, hey, pastor, how can we never do an end times Bible study? So I go, yeah, that's great. So we can create an environment where people can argue their view and make other people feel like they're wrong because they don't have the same view as them, whether to pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. It just ends up in an argument and then people go, well, I'm out of here because I, they don't believe the same thing I believe. Yeah, let's have one of those. <laughs> I mean, there was a time and a place, and, and, and I'm not against it. Just kind of a little bit of a joke. Or I find it amusing. 
seek peace, remain humble, guard our words. And then he offers what should make us different from our neighbors. He offers us what should make us different neighbors from those who might not know the love of Christ. We should not live in, in, in fear of all those forces that threaten us. Instead, what should we do? Instead, we should be ready to share the amazing work, the beautiful work, the transformative work, the wonderful, hope-filled work of Christ and what God has done. We are to live differently. We're to live in a different way. And in verses 15 and 16, Peter challenges us with two indicators of what, no, not a good Christian neighbor should look like, but a great Christian neighbor should look like. And the first one is this, live with incredible, extraordinary, undeniable hope. That doesn't get anybody excited? <laughs> says this in, in, in chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a what? Defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the what? The hope that is in you. I say extraordinary because if it was typical optimism, who really would notice? Who would really notice typical, everyday, ordinary optimism? The point is that when suffering comes to the one who follows Jesus, there should be a different response than what the world sees or does. Now, I'm going to give you a little Greek history lesson or Greek uh, language lesson. I'm just going to give you a lesson in Greek. The word defense comes from the Greek word apologia. Now, if you're thinking, you, you probably know that, you know, that's where we get our word apologetics. Apologetics, which is a fancy term for giving a reasoned response. A reasoned response to arguments against our, our faith. And every single person who calls himself a Christ follower can and should be confident in what he or she believes. Absolutely. Peter has specifically challenged us to be ready to give an answer for the hope in us. What is hope? What is hope? It's, it's not the, the, you know, it's not the same as the way we typically use the word, you know, man, I sure hope it doesn't rain today because I want to play golf. That's a wish. That's not hope. Not in this context. Hope in the scriptural sense is an anticipation of something better because of what has been promised. An anticipation of something that is better because what has been promised. What Peter speaks of in, with the word hope here is similar to what the Apostle Paul speaks about when he uses the term gospel. The word gospel. See, we use that term so often in church, we forget it. it its original meaning wasn't a church word. 
As a matter of fact, gospel is a Greek term that literally means good news. And in the first century, if an emperor won a great battle which secured peace across the land and established his rule, he would send heralds with a, with a gospel to declare victory to declare peace and, and to establish his authority. Gospel was a, uh, really was announcing victory. And that's the key. The gospel is an announcement that Jesus Christ himself, through the work on the cross, overcame sin and death. Now, this hope, I want you to understand, is not clenching your fists, clenching your fists and, and, and you know, kind of hoping Christ's work on the cross was enough. It's also, you know, not crossing our fingers, hoping everything is going to be okay. That's not the kind of hope we're talking about. The gospel is not an invitation for you to come and help fight, but news about a battle that has already been won. See, the, the victories is God. It's just our job to bridle the horse for the fight. It's not up to you and I. Which brings us back to being a good neighbor. See, we're called to be courageous about the good news. We're called to be courageous about the gospel. Courageous. To give a defense when people say, why in the world are you, are you so hopeful when by all appearances, it looks like to me that you're going through hell. That you're battling this, this trial and you're in the midst of a storm, but yet, man, you, you got this hope. The point Peter is making in this passage is there are really two ways that that can go. Someone can accept the wonderful news about Jesus or someone can accept or reject the wonderful news about Jesus. The difference between these two outcomes is not up to you. It's not up to us. But when we share our hope, we are giving a tremendous gift because we have given someone the opportunity to rest in that very same hope that you and I have. Which leads us to Peter's next indicator, next marker, next evidence of a, not a good neighbor, but a great neighbor. A, a follower of Jesus, a Christian, a Christ follower, should be known in the neighborhood for living a life full of hope, but also live with an undeniable grace. Full of hope and full of grace. An extraordinary hope and an undeniable grace. Here's what I know to be true. Not everyone is going to like you. Take it from me, personal experience. Not everyone is going to like us. Not everyone's going to like me. Not everyone's going to like you. And this is certainly not indicating that we should do whatever it takes to be popular either. But there should be a difference about us that even when people disagree with us, they still should respect us. He gets into some things that I think are especially re relevant 
to our focus on loving our neighbors right now, today. Let's look at verse 16. It says this, yet do this with what? Gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Notice, gentle. Notice, respectful. And we can summarize that last kind of section or that last portion as respected. If we're not saved by our good works, I mean, we're not saved by our good works, but when we are saved, it does change our behavior. Our neighbors should see some fruit of this relationship that you and I have with Jesus. And Jesus puts it, you know, he puts it this way in Matthew. It says this in 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. But here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice something, uh, something important here. Peter's just not listening or listing some good ideas. He's not saying, here's, here's, a, here's a list of some good ideas to help you with this. He's giving us a warning. And I don't know if you see that or not, but the, the verse begins with a little three-letter word, yet. Yet. In other words, be careful that you don't miss the whole point. In order to understand this idea, we need to look at the danger of the opposite outcomes. Peter's warning Christians, hey, listen, you may suffer. You may even suffer because of the hope that you have. But don't blame your suffering on barriers that you put up. Don't blame your suffering on barriers that you put up between you and your neighbors. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever ordered anything online? Just about every single one of us in this room, right? Have you ever ordered anything online that showed up to your door where, where the package is a little sus? Suspect. Sorry for those of us over 30. When I order something from Amazon, it comes in a nicely branded box. You know, the Amazon with a little smile. Pristine packaging. Tape is centered along the seam. Set down on my porch with care. By a smiling Amazon driver. And then I open that perfectly curated box. And to, you know, what do you see? Oh, you see another box. The box that your item that you ordered is packaged in with a picture of what you ordered, that thing you ordered on your box. Surrounded by cushy styrofoam peanuts. Or now, puffy plastic bags. Or maybe it's protected by foam been cast around this box. You know, when you see that, it makes you feel good about the, the item, the package that you just received, right? I mean, so these positive attributes, gentle, respectful, and respected, are like wrapping or packaging the gospel, the good news, in a way that people will receive it. Now, here's the catch. They may not receive it, 
But when you package the good news in such a way, no beer, uh, barriers are built. <clears throat> But if I order something online and it's delivered in a, a smash container with holes in the box, with duct tape, or let's say it's shipped in a trash bag, you know what? You, what am I doing with that package? I'm sending it back. Or I'm saying, what's the Amazon driver got against me? And it never gets open. Do you see what Peter's trying to warn us with, with using the word yet? If you package a wonderful message in something that's profoundly unattractive, don't blame it on God. In fact, if you think one of your neighbors, or if you're one of our neighbors checking this out today, I'm pretty sure that they're probably saying right now, amen. There's another line Peter warns us about, which we don't even get to either one of these outcomes because ultimately, and, and we lose the right. We lose the right to even share the good news. He's warning that if, if we have the greatest message in the world, but if we package it poorly, nobody's going to receive this gift. You know, we act contrary to the, the, the words of encouragement that we're given. And we're building up barriers to the gospel. I mean, what's the opposite of gentle? Rough, harsh. What's the opposite of respectful? Maybe belittling, shaming. What's the opposite of respected? Non-credible. When we don't listen, we come across as uncaring or we lack integrity. Nobody cares about any hope that we have to share when we're just constantly telling people they're wrong. Listen, on one hand, if you're mocked for your beliefs every now and then, then it really kind of indicates that you're standing for something. On the other hand, if you're reviled or you stir people up constantly, that's probably an indicator that you're not doing it God's way. You're not being a good neighbor. You're just being obnoxious. Don't blame God. I want to look at that last part again. When, when, when you do all of these things, what is one benefit? Matthew 5, 16 says, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Our good works, glory goes to God. The point is, when you're a good neighbor, when you're a great neighbor, even others who disagree with you and your beliefs will come to your defense when you demonstrate the love of Jesus and the love of Christ to others around you. Someone said, love, love is the ultimate apologetic. I mean, Jesus spoke about seeking the kingdom first in the early church when they gathered weekly in Acts 2. They gathered daily with other fellow believers. Let me ask you this. Who would others know by looking at your routines that you are passionate about Jesus? Would others look at me and my daily routines and say, there's a man who is passionate about Jesus? 
Jesus himself spoke about demonstrating our love for him by caring for those with the deepest needs. Would others know by watching our compassion that we love the Lord and we serve a God who cares about those who are hurting around us? I heard this analogy. It's like back in the day, how many of you guys had, still have landlines? I don't, all two of you. But when you have a landline, remember back in the day when we had answering machines? And many times the answering machine was either completely full or it was unplugged. I think answering, answering machines are sort of like the light of the gospel. It's only effective when we use it. Remember, Peter is telling believers to be ready, to be ready, to be ready to give and be willing to answer when people ask about one particular aspect of their lives, and that is their hope. Now, I have an observation as the worship team comes up. The longer we have to deal with all of this uncertainty in our life, the longer we have to deal with it, the less hope people have for the future. And there is going to be, and there should be a marked difference between those who are living in despair or because of their hope. Uh, their hope is in circumstances. And those who are living with expectation because their hope is in Jesus Christ. And listen, this message isn't going, you know, it's not about going up to a stranger today and making a presentation about your beliefs. Unless God and the Holy Spirit leads you to do that. And you, and you already have a relationship with that person. Peter's point is that when we remove the barriers and we live with hope, the message of the gospel is irresistible. For decades, the church focused on slick presentations. We need more lights, better sound system. We need a hazer. We need better programs. We need classes on how to reach out to other people and evangelize. Yeah, we need all that so we can package the gospel in a way that people understand it today. I'm not discounting that. But sometimes I think the church gets so focused on slick presentations when it comes to any conversation about those who are far from God. And you know what I think? I think it's very important to be able to articulate what you believe. But I'm convinced that if we get better at conversations rather than presentations... The Holy Spirit would make room for lots and lots of opportunities for us to share the hope of the gospel. More conversations, better conversations, less slick presentations, and allow the Holy Spirit to open up the doors. 
Let me ask you this. When was the last time you had an authentic, uninterrupted conversation with no agenda with your neighbor? And then let me reiterate, I'm not asking you or challenging you to do anything that I am not willing or haven't done. And my wife and I continue to do this almost every day. Just because you wanted, I mean, these conversations with no agenda, just because you wanted to get to know someone else's story. I think that's something that is profoundly missing in our culture today. And I'm pretty sure that our neighbors would agree. Here's another way to think about it. Many of us have been raised on the model of Christianity that says, share the truth and live your life. Share the truth and live your life. What Peter is prescribing is a model of Christianity that says, share your life and live the truth. And then be ready to give an answer for the inevitable question about the hope that you have. My wife has a great story about being in in, in Starbucks and just in a line and some rando dude asked her, you know, why are you so joyful or why does it seem, you know, what's going on? And, And you can ask her about it if you want to. Because basically she was saying, it's all because of Jesus. Just standing in line waiting for a coffee. When your neighbors look at you, do they see extraordinary hope? Undeniable, ridiculous hope. Do they? Do they see undeniable grace? And my question and challenge to all of us, including myself, is how can we better demonstrate those two to the neighbors that live right next to, uh, door to us? And to help you out this morning as we stand. First of all, first of all, here's what I know to be true. You cannot fake hope. Hope is not something you you fake it until you make it. You can't fake hope. Do you have an expectation for the future because of Jesus? Second, what steps have you taken to love where you live? And I know some of you, because you've been texting me, here's my front porch furniture. Or some people were saying, ah, we, we, we're with you because we got our furniture out on the front porch already or in the front yard. What steps have you taken to love those people right next door to you? What are some steps of obedience you might take this week as you love your neighbors well? Not be a good neighbor, but let's be a great neighbor. What steps? Let's take some time in the presence of God this morning. And let's ask him to reveal some ways that we can now be a great neighbor to our literal next door neighbors. 
And we talked about some of the ways we could do that last week, and you can always go back and watch that if you weren't able to be with us. Father, you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. And we are forgiven by your grace, undeniable grace, Father, because we mess it up all the time. But Father, that same forgiveness you give us, empower us, equip us, Father. Give us opportunity to extend that grace to those that live next door to us. You call us to love our neighbors. We don't know how to do that, but we know you do. You give us some basic, clear, and and definitive steps to do that. So, Father, I pray for opportunity to step out of our comfort zone and to reach across the street, to walk across the yard, and to love our neighbors in the same way that you loved us and continue to love us. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Father. This opportunity to learn about ways we can extend your love to others around us. And I look forward, Father, with an extraordinary hope for what you have in the future as the, as the culture and the face of this community changes because of the love of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.